His name is Frank R. James. He's 62 years old. He was arrested today under suspicion of being the New York City subway shooter. And the mayor was pretty happy. My fellow New Yorkers, we got it. We got it. 33 shots. But less than 30 hours later, we're able to say, we got it. Thank you, Commissioner, for your leadership. Job well done. We got him, we got him. That's what mayors want to say. But there is breaking news tonight that he called in his own tip. He said, I think you're looking for someone that looks and sounds like me, and here's where I'm going to be. And he sat down, and he was arrested without incident. It was something that took away the confidence of those who would go on a subway, those who were shot. And I'm sure you've seen some of the clips of the survivors saying, I don't know if I can ever go on a train again. It led here in Toronto to extra security measures, because that's what happens. Is it, would there be a copycat or what's connection? We all had so many questions. Whenever there is a mass shooting, it matters. We want to know why. Did we know someone like this? Were there signs? What do we watch for? Joining us is Phil Gursky, CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk, former CSIS Senior Strategic Analyst on Terrorism. Phil Gursky, good evening. Hey, Eileen, how are you? I'm okay. We're getting more, and there's still lots of questions. I do see that the man who was arrested, they have given him a terrorism charge, a federal terrorism charge. What does that mean? Well, a great question, because that happened just this afternoon while I was preparing Mm -hmm. to join you tonight, Arlene, and I was a little Mm -hmm. surprised. And the way that it reads, the way that I've read it, is that he's been charged with terrorism because he attacked a mass transit facility. And the way it was worded in the the news Mm -hmm. was that terrorist or other violent attacks against mass transit systems. So was this terrorism? Was this an act of hate? Was this an act of violence? Normally, at least in Canada, Arlene, I can't speak for the States, terrorism charges are laid when it's tied to a political, ideological, or religious substratum or motivation. I don't know that we've got that information just yet, or maybe New York police and the FBI do, but not that I've seen publicly. It's true. And we understand in the United States, if you attack a public transit, as you said, there can be a terrorism charge. And I guess to keep things safe, we are learning, though, and I see that, Phil, there's other breaking news that he posted and talked about violence on social media and posted videos. We have seen this before, but you are correct. And I mentioned it earlier you know, having covered these so many times, it just reminded me, my instinct was, is he connected with someone? And for many years, they often were. This may not be the case. We're kind of, we, we you know, kickstart into that framework, at least I do. And, and in the last few years, it hasn't been the same as it was certainly after 9-11 for about 10 years after that. Yes, but I, I, I often use the phrase earlier that we have terrorism on the brain, and we have had for the past two decades uh, since 9-11. I think we tend to immediately jump to the conclusion <clears throat> that an act of violence at this scale, which has multiple casualties, <clears throat> luckily in this case, just wounded and no fatalities, the best of my knowledge, has to be terrorism. And, you know, historically, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have said that. And, and I'm, I get a little bit worried when I see this this assumption that's made that if it is an act of mass violence, it has to be terrorism. The best of our information now that I've read is that 
He has no ties to any terrorist organization that we know of, like Al-Qaeda or ISIS or whatever kind of thing. So again, the questions I would have for the FBI and New York police, both of whom I've worked with in the past, what was the motivation? I've seen um, references to, to racism. I've seen references to hate. But I caution your listeners, Arlene, hate is not terrorism. Terrorism is a form of hate, but you can be you can hate something without being a terrorist at the same time. And we've often seen a lot of mass shooters and they're filled Absolutely. with rage. And they are not terrorists. We've seen them here in Canada and we're trying and we try to get inside their mind. How important is it? Because we do, and the media really does, and they were criticized for many years for maybe giving out too much information, glorifying it, mm-hmm. especially when there was a shooting, a mass shooting at a school. And I do think there was a copycat situation there. There was just too many where they never happened before. But it is important because we want to know what signs were there. So then when we hear that he posted videos, some of us say, okay, what do we do? What do we watch? What kind of action is taken when we see these things? Because that's kind of a constant, isn't it? Often they tried to tell people. I think so. It was it a call for help? Was it a call for attention? I think as humans, we want to understand why. How does a guy walk into a subway, throw some smoke grenades, and then start shooting people? It's not normal behavior. It's not accepted behavior in our societies. And therefore, we have this constant need to understand exactly why it happened. The manifesto, the videos are interesting. They do indicate some kind of plan. This wasn't, you know, decided you know, early yesterday morning, he, he woke up with this plan. Apparently he wanted to do this for a while. But the other reason why we want to understand why, Arlene, is that at the end of the day, at least in Canada, in order to lay charges on the criminal code for terrorism, which is section 83.01, you have to tie it, as I said earlier, to that particular motivation, be it political, ideological, religious. You can't do that unless you understand the mentality and the mindset of the person. That's why you ask those questions, because it makes a difference in terms of the, in Canada, the case the Crown would make in bringing this person to court. What are they looking at now? What are they, what are they doing when they look at the scene? We understand there was unused weapons and the method by which he did it. We know that there are, there are similarities between people who do this. Absolutely. The fact that he, he called in and said, I'm the guy you're looking for. Again, yeah. is this his, his Andy Warhol 50 minutes of fame? He wanted to be noticed? I don't know. In terms of what they're looking for, they're, they're obviously going through his social media presence. They're going through his laptops if he has any, any documentation he may have at home. I don't know his family status, Arlene. They're probably talking to family and friends. Did you notice any changes recently? Is this behavior consistent with what you've seen him you know, say he would do at some point. And if, you know, if, if in fact these messages were out there, next question is, well, why was nothing done about it? If this guy truly did say he wanted to kill people, why was that not taken notice of? And at least, you know, have, have someone knock on his door and say, hey, I hear you're, you're going through a tough time. Uh, can we have a conversation? So when you, when you do these investigations, you're basically overturning every rock you can to find out as much information you can as to the nature of the attack, as well as the nature of the person who carried it out. It is. And when we take a look at these people, we often compare them to ourselves and people we know. And one of the things that went through my head is the pandemic. We're seeing people behave in different ways. And that might be something that people will say, okay, well, you know, people are feeling on edge. There used to be a time in New York, as you know, where there were a lot of people who wanted to do things. There was robberies, there was violence, and then it went away. This is, you know, New York proper here. But it it hasn't happened as much as it used to. 
although there is some statistics I was just reading on The Economist this mm. morning that the crime rate is going up in New York mm. as, as of recently. You raise a good point with COVID, uh, Arlene. I think that a lot of us were under the assumption that given COVID, the isolation, the, the loss of jobs, everything that has happened over the past two years would possibly lead to a surge in forms of violence that are tied to the, you know, the wherewithal of COVID. I'm not sure we've seen that, but at the same time, you know, it is human nature to ask, can this happen here? Hence the reference to Toronto you made at the, at the start of our conversation. You want to make sure you have things in place to prevent copycats from happening because copycats do happen. And so it's a good thing that we're aware of it, but at the same time, it's really dangerous to jump to the conclusion that it's going to happen elsewhere in the same way that COVID would lead to a surge in violence that I, I don't think we've seen around the world. So, you know, if we learn something, it's um, if somebody is exhibiting behaviors that are consistent with maybe something happening that's bad, take note of them, get the person help, call someone, don't ignore them. That's probably the lesson we should learn about this case as well. What about as we look and again, go back to what you were examining with terrorism, it, it, we were all primed for it after 9-11. And now, you know, the, it, things have their own meaning. It's not always so, but it certainly seemed to be uh, after 9-11, there was a surge of it. I mean, let's face it. <laughs> we saw it in London. Uh, we, we saw it in New York. We saw it at airports. And now when we say terrorism, is is does that instantly include domestic terrorism as well? It does. Uh, so, you know, you probably have seen that my former organization, CSIS, is in fact, uh, mm-hmm. they've upped their, their game on the far right, which is a good thing to do. It wasn't as, as important, I think, when I was still there in the mid-2010s, but clearly it has assumed greater importance. Worldwide, Arlene, terrorism is down. It has been declining for the past five years, according to the best statistics we have. However, in some places, terrorism is rising, and most of that is in sub-Saharan Africa and parts of Asia. So it looks like the Islamist form of terrorism, the ones that carried out 9-11, are still very strong in many parts of the world. You are right. We're not seeing the the numbers of attacks like London, like Paris in the past couple of years, I'd say, from Islamist terrorists. It's not to say it can't happen again. And on the far right, we're not seeing that many uh, sort of mass casualty attacks as we saw with the Islamists in the 2000s and 2010s. So the, the good news story, I think, is that overall terrorism seems to be down and is declining, but is not going to disappear entirely and, and in fact could have an upsurge at some point. So it is, it is important to remain vigilant and make sure that our agencies like CSIS and the RCMP are well enough resourced to take care of the investigations when they do come across information in this regard. All right. Well, very quickly, though, there is a psychology as well for all of us. Transit, vulnerability, people moving around the city. This, this leaves a bit of a stain. It does. And but the bottom line, Arlene, is that the chances of you being involved in a terrorism attack are greatly smaller than drowning in your bathtub tonight. So I understand the fear. I understand the trepidation and reluctance. But the chances of it happening are so minute. Uh, we simply can't live that way. It's, it's, it's counterproductive for all of us. Yeah, we've learned there's a lot of things we we have to get over these days, don't we? <laughs> Phil Gursky, CEO Borealis Threat and Risk, former CISA Senior Strategic Analyst on Terrorism. Phil Gursky, thank you. My pleasure, Harley. Thank you.